It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. Somehow, I'm not sure how you educate them on those differences, but that's absolutely the reason I chose basketball. You know, I was probably better at netball, but I chose basketball because I wanted to go to the Olympics, and I wanted to travel the world. A formidable talent in Australian women's hoops, three-time WNBL champion with a WNBA ring, Abby Bishop is a name known across the global hoops landscape from the WNBA to EuroLeague and her return home to Australia with the Southside Flyers has her enjoying and playing her natural free-flowing style. We're grateful that Abby led us into where she's at. Her recent injury was a tough break after Opal's camp selection, but she's a veteran that has literally paved the way for many. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me today, as well as my co-host Jacinta Gavin, we've got Abby Bishop. Abby, it is so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So thanks for having me. So Abby, you know, there's been a lot going on for you this year. It's been great seeing you back in the WNBL. That's the first thing. It's been fantastic. You know, watched a lot of the games that you were in with uh, Southside. How did it feel for you coming back to the WNBL? Yeah, look, it was really exciting. It actually took me a little while to to actually make that decision to play back in Australia. But once I made the decision, you know, it all just felt right. And coming to such a wonderful organisation, being the Southside Flyers with a great coach and a great group of people, it just, yeah, it all just made sense. And yeah, I was really enjoying my basketball there. Great people. Just really felt nice to be back in the WNBL. I mean, I wasn't actually gone for that long. It's funny. A lot of people are like, oh, you you know, it's so nice you're back. I was only really gone for a season after the Townsville stint. So I hadn't been um, gone for too long at all. But either way, it, it's been really nice to be back. Yeah, I suppose for me anyway, it's like you were there and then you were gone for a few years. You came back and in the hub season and now you're back again. You know, it's having seen you play, me personally anyway, I really missed watching you play in the league for those seasons. And like you said, Southside's a great organization and you know obviously we got a lot of time for Cheryl she's she's a great coach yeah absolutely I mean yeah you're right I've been kind of in and out of the WNBL my whole career um early on I was here for you know a solid six years whatever but since then it's been um in and out but like you said Cheryl's amazing it's great to be coached by her I've had her as an assistant coach a few times but never had her as a head coach and she's honestly um one of a kind she's amazing and she just has this knack of bringing out the best in people on and off the court. And 
Yeah, I'm really happy to be back and to have um, signed and landed at the Flyers. Have you played very much with this mix before, like some of the girls in the current Flyers? So I've played with a couple of the girls, like Rachel Jarry, Jenna O'Hay. Um, I've played with like throughout the Opals. I played with Amy Clydesdale back in Adelaide um, and also I played for the Dandenong Rangers um, about 10 years ago where Cheryl was an assistant coach and Amy was also there at that time. So, you know, yeah, there's a couple of us that have played together but definitely not majority. It's been nice to be um, reconnected with those girls, but also it's been nice to, you know, play with some fresh faces and, and learn about other players as well. While Cheryl was having those chats with you about coming to play for the Flyers, what were some of the expectations and some of the plans that Cheryl had for you to convince you to come back? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was just like she she told me that it was going to be enjoyable and that's kind of what sold me after the, the you know the, all the chats I just wanted to play and have fun you know I haven't had fun playing basketball for a little while I guess that happens as you get older and it's, and it's your job you know but at this stage in my career like that was my number one goal so yeah that was like the main thing and then in terms of like my play like on the court like what she expected of me she really just said she wanted me to rebound so that was another reason like there was no big heavy expectations on my shoulders to come in and drop 20 and you know all that I didn't want that kind of responsibility I just wanted that to kind of flow so yeah they're the two things that really sold me and and kind of what she'd told me what she wanted and and what she was gonna do for me in terms of make it enjoyable so she lived up to it What's some of the things Cheryl does at training to make it fun? You know, it's so funny. I had this conversation the other day with our weights coach and he was like, why is it so weird that Cheryl's like this in terms of like, this should be normal. Like, cause we all go, oh my God, Cheryl's so amazing. But he's surprised that we're all like surprised that that's how relaxed and, you know, she is. She just has this knack of bringing out the best in you and letting you play your style of game. She doesn't so much yell she communicates effectively and respectfully but also she's open to a joke and open to feedback whereas a lot of coaches aren't really like that and a lot of coaches will have a joke you know obviously everyone has a a personality but shares will have a joke mid-training because at the end of the day it's a game yes it's our job and we want to win and we want to get better and everything but like you can't lose yourself you know while doing it and I think Cheryl's way of coaching shows how her her players play they play to the best of their ability and nobody is put in a box and I think you can see that from watching Flyers games yeah well I've got to agree with you one of the things that I recognized when we were watching Cheryl coaching up here in Sydney and we were doing a lot of pickup footage around training is it always seemed like a lot of fun Cheryl was making it really enjoyable for everybody and then there was always the three-point shootout yeah, at the end. Yeah. She loves the shooting competition, so that gets everyone going. And, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. She's she's pretty good. Yeah. Has she ever nailed one during the time? Of I haven't training? seen her nail one, no, but she doesn't give up. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Like now that you've pointed it out, Bish, that she the way that she coaches and communicates with her players and makes uh, it does look like you and the and the team have a lot more freedom on the court when you're playing in a half court structure. A lot more kind of read and react kind of stuff. A lot more people are having an opportunity to just use their the strengths and their abilities to the best of their abilities loosely within your half-court structure. Um, I imagine that's something you enjoy playing 
amongst us. Yeah, well. absolutely. I mean, also I think with shares as well, we don't have like a star go-to. Everyone's equal, um, which is super nice. Like kind of like you said, everybody's got you know, they can do what they do best and, and everybody can do something great. And, you know, on every different game day, somebody else is going to score more or, or whatnot. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Just like because I mentioned before, there was not so much pressure on me. I could just go out and flow and and just kind of play my game, which, yeah, was nice. And like, yeah, Shez kind of let me roll, let me pick and pop. It wasn't, you know, I'm only allowed to do this. And uh, yeah, I just enjoyed it. It was just nice. Abby, let's just go back to where it all started for you, you know, how you got into playing and joining the AIS and everything that happened around that. Because obviously there are, as newer people are starting to get engaged with the WNBL, they may not necessarily know, you know, your whole history. Yeah, so, I mean, mine's, everyone's got their unique story, I guess. Um, Mine's a little unique in terms of I grew up in the country three hours north of Adelaide, and I actually didn't start basketball till I was about 13, 14. Um, I played netball up until then and then got seen as just a tall kind of lanky girl and asked if I wanted to go over and try basketball, and I ended up really enjoying it and having to choose if I wanted to pursue basketball or netball, and I chose basketball purely based on the opportunities that basketball has and yeah from then I moved to Adelaide and was at a school there with a scholarship and they were a pretty big basketball school and I actually went to school with Kayla George so we played school basketball together and state SA country together and and all that and then yeah got scouted to go to the AIS and and went to the AS for about 18 months which was an amazing experience you know living and breathing basketball and I think you know at that moment I kind of knew that if I wanted I could make something out of it yeah that was kind of my journey in a nutshell it was different but I'm very grateful for my parents for um, giving up so much time driving me back and forth to Adelaide before I actually moved there for school it's interesting you say you said what you said about basketball and, and netball because it's something we've discussed a few times on the show that you know, while netball is really, really popular, basketball gives you some opportunities that netball just doesn't have available, like the ability to play for your country, the ability to play all over the world in quality leagues, as you well know. And that, I think that's one of the really key things that people don't necessarily always understand when they're just starting off and choosing between basketball and netball. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think, I guess more people, probably younger people need to somehow, I'm not sure how you educate them on those differences, but that's absolutely the reason I chose basketball. You know, I was probably better at netball, but I chose basketball because I wanted to go to the Olympics and I wanted to travel the world. So yeah, it is true. I mean, basketball presents itself with some amazing opportunities that netball doesn't, but netball has this knack of I don't know what the word is, not marketing, but getting a lot of young kids to play. Okay. And I know this is probably not necessarily a question that's in your lane, but what do you think basketball can do, apart from events like the World Cup, to be able to try and get more kids to engage with the sport? Yeah, it is a tricky one. I mean, obviously there's like Aussie Hoops programs and and stuff like that, but I think it's about getting more, you know, WNBL teams, NBL teams and that out to schools and stuff like that because that's where the kids then, you know, they see the athletes and then they want to go and, and try it. I mean, I'm not sure if netball do that, but 
And I know that basketball do do that sometimes, but I'm not sure if it's enough. I have no idea. But competing with netball, I'm sure the netball numbers are very, very high in terms of participation. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Let me do some research and I'll get back to you. (laughs) This could be a whole new career, Abby Bishops. Let me get you from netball to basketball. Yes, yeah. And you went from uh, 18 months to the AIS, you said, where you picked up the Rookie of the Year award. And did you go straight to the Canberra Caps after your time at the AIS? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So after my time in Canberra, I um, decided to sign with the Canberra Capitals, which I loved every minute of playing with the Caps and you, Squin. We had some great times. Because uh, um, Mary, who produces the show, very kindly briefed Paul and I with, you know, some background information before our guest and uh, the run sheet and things like that. And Mary has put down the three championships you won with the UC. Well, now the UC Caps. There wasn't the UC Caps when we played. But 2006 and 2007, 08-09 season, 09 and 2010 season so the gap between there is the 07 08 season which is the season that you and I played together was the one season in that before we didn't win (laughs) and see like I said to Paul and Mary before and uh my mum knows this too I honestly feel like I'm a bad luck omen sometimes when it comes to basketball because the teams I support will only go so far and then stumble at the last hurdle. And this is more proof, Paul, that I still think I'm a bad luck omen for basketball because the one year <laughs> no, no, of that four no, no, years no, no, of the no, Caps, no. they didn't win. No, come on. Look, you... <laughs> no, Squin. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And let's look, let's face it, you know, I mean, you support the Kings and they brought it out of nowhere yesterday. <laughs> Okay, side note, that game was boring until the last 30 seconds. But but I will say, Abby, that season, though, that was my one-and-done season. I don't think I've ever said this to you face-to-face, and in hindsight, this is something I wish I said to you at the time but probably didn't have the courage or the personal growth. But you were such a great teammate to me in that season. I was a very anxious, very fish-out-of-water development player, uh, probably was proofing myself every training session and just had no clue, but you were the best teammate to me. You were very supportive. You're always giving me a ride somewhere. You're always encouraging me at trainings and including me in social things. So I wanted to say out in the open a big thank you to you for being such a great teammate for that season. Man, that's so nice of you, of course, but that's so really nice to hear, so thank you. That's okay, I've been holding it on now for a good, what, 12 years, so I'm glad I got it out, got it off my chest. <laughs> Never. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm looking at the list of achievements that Mary sent through with in all the notes. You know, I don't think a lot of people realise that you got a WNBA ring as well. Yeah, I do. I'm very, very fortunate actually throughout my whole career with what I've been able to achieve and that's definitely up there with one of the best winning that championship. Obviously, I was, you know, a rookie kind of riding the bench, but, you know, I still got court time here and there and just to be a part of that team and and to win that championship and to have that big, chunky diamond ring in my safe is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like... There seems to be an awful lot of Australians who end up gravitating to Seattle. You know, there's 
you, LJ, uh, Ezzy now. It's like so many. Yeah, there is. I think I think LJ paved the way for the Aussies over there in terms of in Seattle. Um, they love Australians. I think that they know they're reliable, they're hardworking, they're gritty. So, yeah, there's been a lot of Aussies play in Seattle and I was lucky enough to be one of them and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. But, yeah, for now it's Ezzy and Steph Talbot who are there um, doing wonderful things. So, yeah, good to see. And this one's a real curiosity point for me. Seattle used to have the Sonics and as well as the WNBA team. So since the Sonics disappeared, have a lot of the basketball fans come to support the WNBA? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have. Um, you know, I mean, in general, in, in America, the, the crowds are huge compared to what we get in Australia. But, yeah, I've been at WNBA games in Seattle and seeing people wearing the Sonics jerseys, uh, old jerseys and stuff. So I'm sure there's many of them who are just craving craving basketball and with no NBA team there, well, you know, why not go and support the women, which is still a great show. And Seattle have been so successful. So I'm sure a lot of those fans continue to go to this day that with no NBA team. Did you have any more aspirations after that season to keep playing in the WNBA? Yeah, I did. So I, I went back for two more seasons after that. But after that 2010 year, I, I wanted to stay in Australia and really focus on the national team. So that's why I didn't go back for a while. And then I didn't go back until 2014 and then 2015, I'm pretty sure off the top of my head. So I had Zala when I went back over there. So there was a bit of a gap, but I did three seasons in the WNBA. That's still great that you could take a break, you know, to focus on your national duties and then still be able to get back in the fold because we're seeing more and more with the WNBA, especially how increasingly competitive it is to get contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And especially I had such a big break. So to be able to go back and still make it was pretty cool. I had two different coaches the first year I was there. We had Brian Agler. And then when I went back, we had Jenny Busek. So two different coaches. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's hard to get contracts over there. Absolutely. With the caliber of players that, you know, America produce. And now even a lot of European players are going over there and plenty more Aussies. So um it's a tough league to crack into and obviously not many people get to crack into it. So I do consider myself lucky and very grateful to have played those three years in, in the best league in the world. You mentioned Zala as part of the, that discussion about the WNBA. Now, you adopted your niece at a really busy time of your career. And at the time you did that, certainly here in Australia, in the WNBL, the only other player that I can think of and, and Correct me if I miss anybody out here. The only other player I could think of who was playing in the WNBL and had a young child was Rowie. Yeah, I don't even know if Rowie was still playing when I took Zala. Was she, Squin? Um, when was her I'm, last year? Yeah, I'm not too sure either. Because what year, sorry, did you her, take Zala again? So I took her in 2013. Yeah, so I, eight years ago. Yeah, um, yeah I think... I think Rowie's last season was the 13-14 season. Yeah, well, then you're right then. Yeah, she would have been the only one. She was definitely playing in the 12-13 season because that was the first season we were shooting all video for the Flames and she was definitely playing that season. 
Yeah, okay. So I would have had Dale of the season after that, 13, 14. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. But um, I definitely remember seeing Rowie like throughout my career around with Giselle and sitting on the sidelines and, yeah. Uh, it's becoming far more common now. But back then, it was really not the norm. And, I mean, we look at it now, it's kind of like, how could that not have been something that people would be used, you know, would accept? But I know that it's one of those things that was an issue for some people. It's like, you know, how can you be a mum and, and play professionally as well with the travel and all the rest of it? Did you find that that was something that you found difficult at that time? Look, with WNBL, absolutely not. I think it also depends on, like, what team you kind of go to um, and, and what support they kind of offer. But I was really fortunate with the Caps. They did everything that they could to help me and to help Zala. Um, were so supportive, were very accommodating. I had great teammates. So, and, you know, like, everybody's got a unique situation, right? So, yeah, you know, back then there weren't many mums playing because generally I guess you finish your career then you decide to start a family you you might have a husband or a wife and you kind of retire but I think with Rowie and I's situation and even especially Tracy Beattie who's one of my good friends we were all single mums so it puts a different spanner in the works and yeah, so personally, no, I had absolutely no problems with WNBL teams with Zala. My problems or speed bumps kind of came with the national team. Yeah. Now, I know, Squin, you and I have spoken about this before. I know you've got points you want to make about this. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that you mentioned the whole thing with the national team, Bish, because I wasn't sure if it was something that we could talk about, uh, even though it has some time has passed. But to me, that incident, based on the information that was provided to the media about said incident and based on the talk of the time, that incident read to me that yeah, you, essentially you were unsupported with your decision to take Zala. Basketball Australia essentially put up a barrier for you to be able to continue in the national team because you decided to become a single parent. And it still kind of sticks out to me as a really important moment in Opal's history or the Opal's uh, landscape in a sense that it was an easy example of gender inequality in sport first of all um, and a really disappointing mark against Basketball Australia's name that they weren't going to support you with that and at the same time I'm hoping I mean it's just an unfortunate that it, it had to happen to someone and it happened to you but at the same time I'm hoping it was an incident that was a catalyst for change and I'll bet that change has taken a long time. Regardless for change, that you would have to be a little bit more realistic with our expectations and more understanding with our female athletes that they are going to still be competitive and still competing at a national level. And we need to do more things to facilitate that for them. I don't know. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. I think that was a pivotal moment because who knows if I hadn't have made that kind of stand after all that that had happened. Maybe there isn't going to be a parental policy at this moment, which these wonderful women who are playing this season are being able to to use that parental policy. So, yeah, it was a big moment. I mean, it was national headlines in the news. It was it was quite shocking. But, you know, to their credit and to the, the credit of the Players Association, there is now a policy in place. So, yes, I missed out, 
But at the time, I didn't specifically do it for me. You know, if I really wanted to go, I would have got mum to look after Zala and I would have gone. But I knew right from wrong and what they were doing was wrong. That's why I put my foot down for change for these women now who are benefiting from it. I'm not. Zala doesn't even fall into the parental policy. She's too old. I haven't benefited from it at all. You know, but these women are and that's why I did it. By comparison, how was it? overseas you know in the US and Europe how was the support that you got when you were playing there oh amazing like to to be brutally honest I've never had a problem anywhere other than that one incident with with basketball Australia everyone's been amazing I mean I've taken her on road trips in Seattle um, that's the best league in the world the WNBA I've had teams in Europe who obviously they pay for her flights they help me find nannies, they, you know, organise school for her. Look, I can't fault all the club teams that I've played for. You know, they take her in as a part of the family. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, of course, I would never go anywhere if they had a bad reputation in terms of not being a a family-friendly environment. I've always been selective, um, me and my agent, with where I go and play for that reason. But, yeah, no one's ever let me down in terms of playing club basketball. So I've been really, really fortunate to have been involved in these wonderful clubs who, you know, and especially with a story like mine, it's a tiny bit unique. So they use it as a a feel-good story for the fans, for the, you know, whatnot. I mean, even if I hadn't have taken her, you can still use that in a way of making the club look like they are inclusive, they are um, supporting women and it's life. What have been some of the highlights that you and Zala have experienced overseas? Like what are some of the real... Uh, the fondest moments that come to mind? Oh, God. I mean, we've got so many wonderful memories together playing overseas, but probably her first trip over, um, she was only a little baby, so taking her over for that first trip, we were playing in Hungary and I flew um, a nanny over with me, you know, which was one of my friends and she looked after us. I think just that because it was the first one together and then as she's gotten older, um, I would say probably last season in Italy just seeing her go to Italian school, not English school, Italian school, pick up the language and then, yeah, just share our moments together. You know, when it snows, we'll be outside in the snow. So just kind of little things like that. There's nothing kind of major. Of course, we've made many memories. Just, yeah, just small things like that. But she's pretty lucky and, I mean, I'm lucky too, obviously, to have her by my side. But, like, what a life she's lived. I'm so glad I've been able to provide her with that. I know that kids of any age, having the ability to get the experience around elite athletes is really special. I know my kids have just been so inspired by the players that they've met over the years, Rowie being one, Snelly being another. Do you think that it's had an impact? It's always a positive, but sort of a positive impact on Zala, just having athletes of that quality around. It's almost like a, you know, second nature kind of thing that it's given her a level of confidence that maybe kids wouldn't ordinarily get? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, just to be able to be surrounded by these strong, positive role models quite a lot of the time has absolutely helped with her confidence. But even like, you know, her like vocabulary and things like that as she was younger, being surrounded by adults quite a lot more than she was around kids. But also like to show her that, you know, you can do anything about hard work. And, yeah, so I think it's positively impacted her a lot. 
Is she showing early signs of being a baller as well? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. She is playing. I mean, love her, love her. She's playing and she's enjoying it, but um, I'm not sure that the scouts are looking at her just yet. <laughs> it can really go either way with basketball kids. You either have the next prodigy or it's just not for them. Sometimes it's just yeah. not for them. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it's going to be for her. She loves her singing and dancing, but Elisa's getting her out running around and that team environment. So. Oh, and there's still, yeah. uh, still a lot to be said for singing and dancing as well. Get her into some local theatre early and some, some drama classes early and she'll still thrive in different ways, I think. That's right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, my kids have danced and, yeah, it's it's different but it's great for them, you know. Mm. It's not a team – well, it is a team sport in some ways, particularly if they start getting to that point where they're getting into the competitive routines. Yeah, true, yeah. You know, and they, they're playing for sheep stations too. <laughs> <Some> yeah. <of> the... <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, look, we got to talk about it. I don't really like talking about it, but you've recently suffered an injury which is – benched you for the rest of the season and impacted the Opals campaign. Tell us what happened and how you're going and how it's looking in terms of getting you back. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a strange one because I've never had kind of anything like this throughout my career. So we were playing a game against Perth and I felt something in my Achilles. And I've always had Achilles tendonitis my whole career, but never really missed a training or a game, just kind of always dealt with it and done my rehab and whatnot. So I felt something in my Achilles and I thought, this is a bit weird, but I think I'm okay. So I finished the game. And then the next day, my Achilles was double the size of my other one and I could hardly walk. But then again, I still thought I was okay. We flew to Sydney and we had a game in Sydney on the Sunday, right before the Opals camp began. And in the warm up, was warming up, and I had a few tears in my eyes. And I said to physio, Oh, I think I'm all right. And she's like, Abby, I don't know if you are. And I was like, Let me just try. So I played about four minutes and had to sub myself off because I could not run. Anyway, went to Opal's camp, checked in to the hotel, and saw the physio and the doctor there. And they just said, Look, you're not going to be able to attend the camp or train. So you may as well go home and get an MRI scan. So Came back to Melbourne and had my MRI. And honestly, I, I didn't actually think it was going to be like season ending. Um, so I had like a little bit of hope still. Like I knew something wasn't right, but had my MRI. And I don't know if you guys have had MRIs, but I had my MRI and the lady comes in. She goes, I'm really sorry, but I'm just going to have to change machines. And we're just going to do a little bit higher. And at that moment, I knew something was like not great because they don't come in and ask to do a bit higher if they didn't already see something. So... All day I was sweating on my results, didn't get my results till that night and it came back that I have torn my tendon in my soleus muscle. So what they had kind of explained to me was where your Achilles tendon meets your calf muscle, um, I've torn the tendon there. So it's not like an Achilles rupture, that's obviously a bit lower or what I don't really know to be honest, but the tendon is torn up quite high. So I, I had calf pain and Achilles pain. I saw the team doctor and she pretty much just said to me, it's anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. It kind of just depends on every individual athlete and how you, you know, progress and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it unfortunately put me out for the rest of the season, which is such a shame because I was thoroughly enjoying it. I was playing good basketball. I'd just been named in this Opal squad and 
it kind of was just, yeah, really bad timing. But at the end of the day, that's sport. And um, although I was, you know, pretty devastated for a couple of days, after that I just had to change my mindset and really just be like it is what it is and move on and learn from it and, and take a little mental break and then get back into the rehab so I can get back to where I kind of left off. But that's pretty much the story. Getting old, I think. <laughs> Do you remember how it happened in the first game? No, so that's also like the weird thing because the physios and doctors are like usually with an injury like this, there's like a moment where you go, oh, shivers, like I've done it or whatever. I didn't have a moment. In the second half against Perth, I the feeling I had was my Achilles was going to snap. It felt like my Achilles was so tight that it was going to snap, but I just kept playing. So, And I was able to keep playing. It didn't actually alter any of my movements or it wasn't like severe pain. But they think it's really strange because they yeah, literally normally there's a moment. But it's also really weird because I've done the same injury as Laura Mansfield. She'd done it a few days before and we were texting and, yeah, it's the same injury. Wow. Yeah, no, you're right. And from memory, you've been able to play a really, really consistent career without injury. And it's just, for me, it was the biggest injustice of the whole season that you unfortunately got injured because I'm like, you're finally back and you're playing amazing and you did look like you were enjoying it too. You looked really, really relaxed every time you hit the court and you finally made the Opal squad. And I know that in our little uh, alternative media podcasting community, we're all collectively like celebrating when you finally got listed and named in that squad. Yeah. And then when you were injured, we just felt devastated. <laughs> you felt what I felt, yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. I feel the support. But, yeah, it, I mean, look, it was amazing to be named back in and then it was like the biggest high and then the biggest low. It's like, oh, my goodness. But fingers crossed I get an opportunity to go to the next camp. I'm sure Sandy will be kind enough to put me in that and give me one go, right? We can only hope. Surely, surely. Otherwise, we'll be sending a strongly worded letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Not really, but I mean, the sentiment will be there. Yeah, a strongly worded tweet, maybe. Yeah, strongly yeah, worded tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. The other thing I wanted to ask you is did you get a chance to watch any of the, the World Cup qualifier games? Yeah, I did. I watched um, I watched the first half of the game against Brazil. I watched the whole Serbian game and I watched about the first five minutes of the Korean game. So, yeah, I, I watched quite a bit of it. You know, from the outside looking in, how did you think the team went? Look, overall, I thought they um, played some pretty good basketball. I think they're on the right path, in my opinion. Obviously, with no Ezzy, that's a big difference because she's a massive part of that team. But yeah, like their defense was great. I thought they played really good team basketball. Obviously, many areas to improve on. But for me watching, I thought it was quite positive after, you know, the stuff before. Yeah. Look, to me, from the games that I saw, I thought, given that pieces of the team have not played together for very long, they were, they were playing pretty well together. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's areas that need to be improved on, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's early days. That's right. Yeah, I thought they did great. It was great to see Sammy Whitcomb playing really well, you know, being the captain. I thought Darcy Garbin did a great job, played her role really well. So, yeah, there was a few good signs and, you know, individual performances as well. But you're right, overall, they played pretty teamy together considering they haven't been together for a long time. Yeah. I think something they were missing 
uh, was a bit more hustle uh, under the basket on both ends in boxing out and rebounding. And since Cheryl is your Southside Flyers coach and on the Opals coaching staff as well, I think you would have slotted in nicely. I felt like, because I rewatched the games today and I feel like sometimes they were relying on Tolo too much to pick up the scraps under the basket. And as amazing as Tolo is, she needs some backup. So just stay ready. Yep, just stay ready. <laughs> stay ready. Stay ready. <laughs> we do tend to kind of go off topic a bit. I'm going to ask you a, a bit of an interesting question. If Zala was going to tell us what movie character she thought you were, who do you think it would be? Oh, to be honest, Zales and I don't watch many movies, so she probably even wouldn't know who to say. Like, she's not a big movie head. I don't know. She'd probably say something silly like Shrek or something, and she's probably never watched Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Just knows what Shrek is. (laughs) Not, not a, a Disney princess? Yeah, I was going to no. say, we get, a, we get a lot of Disney princesses. Yeah, we do. No. Who, who was it that Kayla had oh. a song Did she say the grandma from Lilo and Stitch? Or did I make that up? No, the grandma from um, Moana. The one? Moana, yeah. Yeah. Who's <laughs> this very niche pick? And I think, yeah. I think Bunce has said, has mentioned Moana as well. Yep. And Tolo yeah. had a soft down as Kramer. Yes, Kramer from Seinfeld is Tolo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> She's very uh, tall and lanky and, and goofy. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so um, what's, what's next for Abby? What's next? Look, it's hard. I, I don't really know. I'm in this rehab process. Um I haven't signed anywhere to play NBL one. I'm probably just going to try and train hard and, and see if I can crack the opals. If I can't, that's okay too. And like honestly, I don't even know if I want to play another season or not. I'm just kind of in this limbo mode of I'm just winging it. I'm winging it and enjoying life. And whatever happens next happens, kind of thing. I'm not I'm not stressing myself out, and I'm just going to wait and see. How do you rehab such an injury as that? It's not an injury that I have really heard much about in our basketball community and now we've got two in the league. So how do you rehab that? Yeah, I was asking all those questions today. My strength and conditioning coach said, Abby, just a heads up, you are going to be so sick of calf raises, like like sick to death of them. So pretty much just a lot of calf raises, um, you know, like the bands around your feet and doing like the flexion stuff. So it's just trying to work the calf muscles, the feet muscles and stuff like that. So I can now ride a bike as well. So that's good. I can swim, I can box and I can lift weights, but some weights like split squats and things like that, I can't actually do yet because of my, my calf. So I can still do many, many things, which is great, but I think it's going to be a very boring and um, annoying rehab. Yeah. I remember uh, 2020, I busted my left ankle quite badly and, you know, calf raises, uh, were high on the rotation of rehab exercises. I got in the habit yes. of coming home from work and just doing it in front of the TV almost mindlessly. And I thought I was doing all right. And then the physio's like, you have to be able to do like 20 to 30 single leg calf raises in a row. And I was like, mm, 
I don't know about this anymore. Mm. Which honestly to yeah. some listeners and probably top end athletes like yourself is like probably easy. Then I heard about Jack White when he was rehabbing his Achilles rupture. He ended up being able to cut single leg calf race 70 kilos. Holy goodness. Oh, and that blew my mind and I was like, wow, and I'm getting stroppy over 20 in a row and he's doing 70 kilos. <laughs> 20 body weight ones. 20 but... body weight, yeah. <laughs> oh, slim. So that is yeah. intense, but I'm glad you can still stay active and do as much as you can. And look, doing split squats, no one likes really doing them anyway, so maybe it's probably <laughs> a blessing in disguise. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And as for MBL1, you might have, you know, one of someone you're quite close with, LJ, is going to be suiting up for the Albury Wodonga Bandits. I'm sure that she'd be able to find you a roster spot if you felt like playing something uh, relatively low-key. Yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, like so many people have messaged me and said, you've got to team up with Laura's. Like, how great would that be? And I would love nothing more than to do that. I just don't want to relocate. I want to go back to Townsville and enjoy the warm winter. And, you know, so look, if they flew me in for a couple of games, maybe, but definitely not relocating somewhere where it's cold. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Albury Wodonga would be, yeah, pretty, pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah, if you're in the position of playing for fun and, and playing for lifestyle, I think going to warmer weather is an awesome idea. Yes. <laughs> and one kind of off-topic, non-basketball-related question I sometimes like to ask people is what's an assumption that people make about you that's often incorrect? An assumption about me? I think the biggest assumption about me is I think people think I'm mean. Uh, you know, I have this demeanour or whatever, but I'm actually really not mean. Like your comment before, like I'm actually really not. I'm the complete opposite of mean, but I do come across like that. I don't let a lot of people in in terms of like close to me. So um, I can see how people could kind of see that, but I'm absolutely not mean. <laughs> no, can 100% verify that you are not. <laughs> Thanks, Quinn. <laughs> See, one of the things I've noticed is that once you get to that elite athlete stage, people see you through the lens of, you know, you're on the court, you're doing your thing, or you're off the court, but you're still, you're at work. And it's that competitiveness that comes yeah. out, you know. And look, my experience is certainly being around, you know, the Flames players in the past, when they're not in that mode, they're really, you know, easy to get on with, easy to talk to. Yeah, you can sit down and have a joke and whatever. But as soon as that game face is on. Yeah, different story. That's it. It's like, yeah. you know, there's a whole different feel. And I think for a lot of people, their only exposure to a lot of the players is from what they see. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of go, oh, you know, th this person's kind of like they're tough and they're hard and they're, yeah, you know. And you don't really get to understand the difference. Like I've always seen Tolo as a hard gunning player. But then when we had our podcast with her, it's a whole different personality that comes across. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? That's right. Yeah. What what people see is only one small part of that person's life, which is going to work and playing basketball and, and how they are as competitive athletes. And something I've noticed from when we played to now at any level is – because the one thing I noticed when we had that season with the Caps under Graffy is that the communication is a lot more direct and it's direct and it's blunt, but it's not personal. 
Um, so that was a big learning curve for me when I was there, that when you're giving an instruction, it's not personal, it's just you're doing an instruction and there's no time to fluff about and sugarcoat it and tie a bow around it. Like just go and do this because, you know, that's your job. We don't have time to be yeah. mucking around. And I think the biggest difference between then and now is that communication style has taken a back seat and is more likely now to be misinterpreted as someone being mean or bitchy or, or, or toxic yeah. or something like that. And it's that's not the case at all. It's just kind of like we have a job to do. Let's just get on with it. And yeah. it, that's all it is. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Yeah, people aren't able to be leaders in that sense and, and speak, not speak like that, but direct like that anymore um, because, yeah, things are taken too personal, which is also like a coaching, back to the coaching thing is like even Cheryl as a coach, like her communications uh completely different to what I'm used to, which is like so nice. I think I know certainly that with, and again, from having observed Cheryl doing a thing, she can be, really really direct but when she is direct you kind of look at it and go well you know because you know you've gotten to know her you know that it's just her doing her job there is no personal there's nothing personal about it it's her doing her job but she can be really blunt and if it's people who aren't used to and who don't know her and who aren't used to hearing her they probably be going oh where's this coming from yeah probably because it kind of like might catch people off guard but I think with Cheryl, it's, you know, that doesn't happen very often. So when it is, like, direct and blunt, you know, she's had enough and she's dead-ass serious. Do you know what I mean? Because she actually doesn't have to do it often. Yeah, so. But, no, it's so interesting. It's very interesting throughout my career experiencing different coaches and communication styles and, and everything. But, yeah, I'm grateful for every part of them and every one of them. Okay. Abby, I really want to thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you on. We've all, you know, Mary, Squin and I have talked often about getting you on the show. I'm really happy to, to, that we've been able to do that. Yeah, no, it's it's been really great being here. When I got the phone call um, or the message first from our GM, I was like, absolutely, like would love to. So I'm really grateful you guys had me on and I could share a little bit about my journey and my injury and enjoying basketball and, and everything in between. It's been a hell of a ride and, yeah, I'm just happy to be here and speaking with you guys. So thank you. Anytime. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Abby, thanks so much. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.